Howdy, and welcome to the Three True Outcomes podcast presented by Baseball Prospectus. I'm your host, Ian Lefkowitz, and joining me, as always, are Ben Murphy and Jared Weiss. Uh, and if you think that's quicker than usual, that's because we have a lot of show to get to. Uh, we are going to be talking about the score sheet mock draft, and we have some guests. So I am going to turn it over to Jared now to uh, take us through uh, the next few minutes to an hour. <laughs> However many minutes it takes. Yes. I got additional duties. I got upgraded from LA captain. This is very exciting. Uh, joining us from Connecticut, please welcome Nate Stevens. Nate, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. And we have more than one guest. This is super exciting. Joining us from California, please welcome John Armin. John, how are you? Hey, I'm doing dandy. Good to be here. Oh, man, that's exciting. That's a lot of energy. <laughs> yeah, John's got too much energy. John, hey, man, I'm, ask you I'm, on the right, I'm on the correct coast uh, where it's you know still bright and early, uh, not uh, you know time to fall asleep. <laughs> what i like about that most is that it's a podcast but yeah, right. as you know everybody on the east coast is tired all the time that, that is my understanding <laughs> so you accurately pegged us yes um but sorry so go ahead so i guess we should introduce what is the score sheet mock draft Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so I, I'll take that one. Uh, thanks. <laughs> Great question, Ian. The score sheet mock draft is a uh, annual tradition. I don't know how many years. If anyone here knows, feel free to jump in. Um, led by past guest and uh, uh, score sheet uh, man about town, Brian G. Barry Jones, um, in which uh, a number of uh, score sheet experts and uh, and others. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, but mo mostly expert. And uh, we had a very good year this year, I think. Um, our get together to kind of uh, mock draft makes December a little bit better, and also uh, rag on each other for the picks that they have made. Um, just to start off um, with, like how to follow along with this conversation. Uh, we'll try to make the conversation as easy as possible for you. But if you want to get the results of the mock draft, uh, we will either probably leave them in the show notes yes um and if you can't find it there um you can go to groups.yahoo.com it turns out you actually can't google it and type <laughs> in score sheet mock draft and then you can get a little bit of the conversation you can also go to the mock draft league in score sheet which is bl mock draft and then if you know the trick on how to get archived results you can get archive transactions it's typing backslash archive backslash 2018 into the transactions field. It'll change your life, I promise. Okay, on with the show. <laughs> I think um, on Scorsese Talk, one of the most frequently asked questions is where to get a clean copy of the mock draft. Um, so that should be somewhere. So I think let's just start off with what um, do you guys, uh, how do you guys find the mock draft useful in terms of real leagues? So obviously it's fun, we all get together, we make jokes and we have a good draft, but how do you all find or not find the mock draft to be useful? Um, I'll start with you, Nate. Yeah, so I think it's uh, extremely useful from a benchmarking perspective. You know, there's going to be outliers. There's going to be people that disagree, but it gives you a general sense of, you know, hey, there's 24 people in the league. At least one other owner values this player uh, in this way, right? So, it, you know, I use that a lot in trades in the offseason uh, or early in the season. You know, hey, this person went in this round. You know, this is pretty similar to this, so maybe we match up. 
Um, so I'll do a lot of that. And then the other thing is, you know, I think you, um, you do learn a lot. Um, you know, I'm pretty vocal in the group, uh, about picks. Uh, but I, I myself learned a ton. Um, you know, Paul Goldschmidt's the one I always put out there that I had not a lot of interest in him. And then Bill Sanders took him one year and made a pretty compelling case and flipped the switch, went all in on Goldsmith and got him uh, in a couple leagues. So, um, you know, it's like that every year. There's at least one, if not a handful of players that you kind of get a better sense of. And, oh, maybe I'm more interested now than I was before it started. Mm-hmm. And John? I I, I, uh, I agree heavily with Nate. And obviously, the Goldschmidt thing is one that uh, – uh, the Goldschmidt type players, the guys who uh, somebody else picks, who you say, well, wait a second, that doesn't look quite right to be that high. And then you look at it and you say, okay, well, maybe I needed to prep better. Uh, it also, it's a first chance, a first cut at kind of prepping for a draft, figuring out uh, where people go. Plus, it's the fun of getting to do a startup draft without uh, committing yourself and ending up in, you know, 12 leagues at a time. So it, it does have that advantage. My wife always points out when I tell her I'm doing a mock draft, she points out that our other drafts are also not real. So <laughs> this is a fake, fake draft. But yeah. I enjoy it a great deal. I enjoy prepping for it. I enjoy doing it. The fake, does fake draft say- is one of my wife's favorite quips about the mock draft also. <laughs> does she say that about mock trials as well? Uh, like all- uh, uh, no, because actual trials are real. The thing is, our, our drafts are not real. Trials are real, so mock trial makes sense. But mock draft is really a mock mock draft because obviously the fantasy leagues, um, when we draft Mike Trout, he does not come to our house and play in the backyard. That's fair. Oh, I wish that he were. American jurisprudence today. <laughs> um, so I want to get into the, the meat of the draft in a second. Um, but first, uh, John and Nate, you normally don't own a team together, but in the mock draft, you mocked it. You mocked You mocked Mocked it. Mocked it. Yes. Yeah, mocked it. You guys, you guys uh, co-owned the mock draft team, um, whereas normally you are separate entities. Team DTO has found the joint experience to be rewarding, or at least that's what they tell me to my face. But how did you um, find... Uh, mocking together as opposed to owning separate teams? Uh, I, I'll uh, hit this one first. I think the f- we've done this now for two years, and last year it was sort of an accident, and uh, this year we, we did it with malice aforethought. And I, I think we learned something from year one to year two because we're both, we both have uh, strong opinions. Uh, we're both, uh, we both have strong personalities, and, uh, you know, we're both competitive in everything, including fake, fake drafts. So we ended up having good conversations about a lot of players. And I think we ended up trying to be a little more deferential in our first draft. And we were a little stronger, I think, in this one in finding the points where we were going to defer or not defer. And, uh, and so I felt, like, uh, I felt like this year's draft uh, coming out of it, I was pretty happy with the results. And it's fun to talk to Nate because, you know, generally uh, in NorCal, uh, obviously he's, he's failed because he was behind me last year and he's behind me in our ranking system. And he's behind me, I think, morally, intellectually, <laughs> and politically. And, and I, I do like to stress that just this moment while I have the chance. But, uh, I should probably let Nate talk at this point. Well, I really missed uh, the opportunity a couple of years ago when I won twice in three years and went to three straight World Series. Huh? Really should have rubbed that in a little bit more when I had the chance. Uh, I apparently, I was up have. against this. 
but no, I mean, back to the, the draft. I mean, I, I agree with John. I mean, I think we definitely got better in the second year. I think the first year was more of like, oh, well, I don't really want to do that. So, but, you know, go ahead. Uh, and this year, um, we kind of just would like veto individual players. Like, hey, we don't really have a lot of consensus on this guy. Let's not, let's not do that. Um, and, you know, if I have a guy first and you have a guy fifth, you know, especially in like the mid or later rounds, like that's, that's a lot of consensus. So um, we did that. And I think, it, I think it worked out better. You know, last year at the time, I didn't not like our draft, but I think in retrospect, it was kind of okay. You know, this year's draft, I, I feel a lot more confident about uh, coming out of it. Jared and Ian and I avoid that problem wherein uh, Ian is the only one that knows anything about anything. Uh, so we just do whatever Ian says. <laughs> I'm not sure I agree 100% with that logic. But yeah, no, I think there's I think there's an interesting aspect of like as people who have done this for a very long time, um like I like working in teams. I don't I don't know if I particularly would like to run get, uh team solo. Personally, just I like discussing um, and dialectic, but I think there's an interesting uh, thing that you were kind of hitting on of the difference between, let's say, just like seeding your territory and uh, compromise and like understanding um, where it's like just because somebody has a strong opinion doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right one. Um, and it's like going into a one for you, one for me scenario might not be ideal, but, you know, I think saying like, okay, we both have this person high, you know, I, I don't know. I, I wonder if you feel like consensus picks end up doing better than the ones where you feel like you're more, one of you is more out on the limb. I, I think it's a question of expertise. I mean, I, right. I, one of the mistakes last year was not getting Miles Mikolas, which we could mm -hmm. have done if I had listened to Nate. And one of the things, uh, Nate has better expertise on, uh, on foreign leagues. He, and so it, it's really a question of finding the areas in which we're, uh, in which we're likely to be better. And, and there's still some room for deferring, but there should be a reason for that. Uh, and if, so I, I think we, I, we found a better, a better fit this year. Yeah. And I think one thing you can say from that is that the team that drafted Miles Michaelis last year really understood teamwork the best. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> Go ahead. <laughs> um, so let's get into the draft a little bit, maybe. And, and I don't want to go through all the picks or, or all our picks, but I thought it might make sense to start with the first round and our first picks. We were both in the um, top five. Um, so first, Mike Troutwin. Does anyone have any problems with that? Who? <laughs> it, you'd be out of your mind not to pick Mike Trout, and uh, it's a huge advantage to get the one seed. Uh, Trout is different than everyone else. He's still better than everybody else. He's going to be better than everybody else. There's really not an issue. I meant to ask this um, of the... Uh of the comment section and uh for those who are missing it the comment section one of the best reasons to subscribe uh, like uh, and you can kind of go back to the yahoo group and look through it um what year do you think is the first year that mike trout will not go number one in the mock draft mm. if you had to guess i was trying to think how old is he now 28 he's 28 yeah um i'd give it three years yeah once okay. once he's 31 yeah so I think like one of like Soto uh -huh. Acuna, Vlad, one of those guys will go instead. 
Yeah, I think it'll be an early 20s guy. And at that point, you're looking at eight, nine, ten years of difference. Yeah. So, someone will weigh that more. I'm not saying it's right, but it's at least colorable uh, in a couple of years. Yeah. And I think you guys may have staked a claim on which person you think might be the next 1-1. One, one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we'll get there yeah. in a second, but but since we're here, I think John, you have a, a point um, to to lead you a little bit about uh, startup leagues. And if you were if you were starting a new one, you wouldn't have uh, randomly assigned picks, but you'd have some other system. And I'm going to guess that has something to do with Mike Trout. Uh, in any league, almost uh, in any league you're in, if you do a, a standard back and forth snake draft. The early round pick, the earlier picks are going to have an advantage because, remember, uh, one of the things Bill James taught us is that baseball talent is the far end of a bell curve. It's not a bell curve. So as you go up that, I mean, being uh, ahead as you go in lower rounds, being ahead in that round is worth less than it is at the very top. So you'd have to have you have to have some kind of auction or some kind of distribution system if you want it to be fair. If you don't want it to be fair, if you want it to be luck, then fine. But otherwise, you have to have some kind of distribution system, an auction system for not just pick one, but I think other picks too. I think uh, all the way down until people lose interest, in which you either give up picks or you uh, reduce uh, picks down to the end of the draft. If you're not doing that, then the Trout Lottery is a huge, huge deal. Um, I talked about that with Matt Hauser, who uh, sort of won the mm -hmm. quick and dirty way we calculated it. And one of the advantages he had was that he had the chance to get Trout. One of the other advantages he had is he outdrafted everybody else and still would have won <laughs> even without that. Um, but the uh, but it really is. It's a huge thing. And so you, if you're if you're going to run a league, if you're going to start, if you're uh, going to do a startup league, you want to make sure you do that, uh, especially if you have sophisticated actors like I think we all are. Yeah. Yeah. Are, I... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Um, yeah, I think that's always the case, which John said. I think it just Mike Trout being who he is exacerbates that right now. And not doing that just is a really big mistake, a bigger mistake than usual. Um, not to cross sports, but it's like when LaDainian Tomlinson was scoring like 20 to 30 touchdowns every year. And he was like the number one pick every single year in fantasy football. And everyone just started throwing their hands up. And it's like this is this massive advantage. So they started doing like third round reversal and they tried to do some other things to counteract that. Um, that's that's who Mike Trout is. He's the Ladanian Tomlinson of baseball. Oh, as somebody who lives in Jets territory, that's really ominous. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't wait to root for busted Mike Trout in a decade. Um, no, it, it, I was just going to add that uh, we have been subject to this rule uh, twice now. Uh, once in joining uh, BP NorCal and once uh, this year in BP Kings, and you can hear about that uh, experience in an earlier podcast. Um, it's really good, and it's really good for us because now we have Mike Trout. Uh, but uh, we were we were big fans, and like we were willing to spend for the first pick um, in both cases, and some te other teams were not. And I think being able to make that choice was really appealing to us. Um, moving all the way down to the next pick, um, made by a trio of charming and handsome gentlemen. Um, I, I think uh, we had a discussion here. Um, John and Nate, I guess I'm curious to see what you guys think of our pick of Francisco Lindor um, as number two overall. Um, 
Were you hoping that he would fall? Did you expect that he might? Were you happy we took him? Yeah, I, I can jump in. So uh, it was what I expected. Um, I told John before the draft that I thought Lindor and Betts would go 2-3 in some order. Um, I don't have a huge preference uh, between the two, but I do think they are the right picks. I think, you know, there's the exciting trio of baseball players that can't drink yet that we'll get to in a minute. Um, but I still think Lindor and Betts are, are worth it. They're both just so good right now. They're both still uh, very young that uh, they belong there. Yeah, I, I agree. I I, uh, I wasn't as convinced that Lindor and Betts would go 2-3, uh, but Nate was right. And so it was uh, – and, and there's good reason for Lindor to be number two. I mean, he solves a problem for you for, for a decade. He's really good. Uh, there's, he's a completely sensible number two. And, and were you happy with it? Because we didn't land on Lindor right away. There's some back and forth there. Yeah, so it's sort of, um, you know, we were... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Trying a thing, and we'll talk about our strategy a little later, but we were thinking about um, kind of, I think, structuring the question a little differently. So first we kind of decided between Lindor Betts and let's say um, Alex Bregman, I think, was up there. Manny Machado was up there. Jose Ramirez was up there. And just deciding, like, essentially who the best player is. And we kind of came to that same Lindor Betts conclusion. Um, we had uh, Soto, Acuna, and uh, Vlad Jr., which uh, I guess we can name them. They're not like Voldemort. Um, in a in a bucket, and then you know arranged them in a certain way, and then said like, okay, now what team do we want? which is probably not exactly the way to do it. Like, you should probably just line up players in terms of value. Uh, but I think we were also thinking about, like, how much this would affect our strategy and, you know, are the extra six years worth it? So I'm happy with Lindor. Obviously, I would like him to not have gotten hurt, like, two days into the draft <laughs> to make us look good. But, you know, we're getting him for the next 10 years in this theoretical league. So, um, yeah, I still no regrets. So uh, Betts went third, then Machado, and then uh, Nate and John, you guys had the fifth pick um, and took Juan Soto there. Um, was there a lot of discussion there? Um, how did you end up on Soto? Well, uh, we had we there was some discussion as to what we would do. I think we had we ended up uh, with our list being Trout, Lindor, and then because I was an agitator, uh, Soto at three. But I am I'm absolutely have i am not confident between soda akuna and uh vlad which one of those guys is going to be the best out of those but man soto had an age 19 season that was just crazy i'll throw it to nate here yeah yeah i would say i'm like 34 32 32 between the the three of those uh i think the real answer is just yes like if you can get any of those guys uh, in the top 10 of a, a startup draft, you just do it and say thank you and move on. Um, you know, it'll be super fun to see which ends up the best, but I don't, I wouldn't argue with anyone that picked uh, those three in any order. Yeah, well, I mean, 
certainly we have to take into account that Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s own GM said that he was not a major league player in the moment. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we'll let that weigh in. But um, well, let's let's have that discussion now since it has to happen every mock draft. So, like we're talking about Soto and Acuna went eight, uh, Vlad went nine. Were why were prospects taken too early? Why when will his madness end? Someone please make it stop. <laughs> Vlad, of course, is uh, he, Vlad is not a normal prospect. Um, he's not a normal human. I think uh, I think Nate uh, has always said uh, we're drafting prospects too high and we should stop. Isn't that what you said, Nate? That's that's pretty close. Yeah, it's, yeah. Our, long, it's our long national nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> we we have the argument. We have the argument each year, and uh, Nate and I are trying to. Uh, I think there's the old saying, um, build a man a fire and he'll be warm for a day, set a man on fire and he'll be warm the rest of his life. <laughs> and in this case, I, I, I think we're ready to set the people on fire who keep saying that the prospects aren't, uh, are taken too early. Um, it, it, it just hasn't, it, it's not true. Um, it's just not empirically true because if you hit on one of these guys, if you drafted Juan Soto last year, um, in in anything other than the first 15 picks, you're a huge winner for the rest of your life. And if you look back at the old drafts, I mean, you take too low in round 16 or round 15 and uh, these all these other picks. Now, sure, a lot of them wash out, but the goal is to end up with, you know, three, four, five baseline players who are studs. And at that point, it gives you a lot of room for error elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's the key. When you think of it as trying to build a core and having those players have a lot of time to develop into being part of that core, that's what makes the difference for some people. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about like the relative risk of the prospects also, and I think it's important to make sure everybody's mindful of the relative risk of all the major leaguers also. I think it's the other big um, counter-argument that's easy to to dismiss with a little bit of evidence. Yeah, and I, I'm fully with you, Ben. I say that all the time. I mean... You know, the, the way to do it is like, okay, show me your third through fifth round picks for the last five years and show me how you never missed, yeah. right? And then that quickly crumbles, right? Because people's hit rates, even in the third, fourth, fifth round, are not very high. They're a lot lower than you think they are. Um, I will say, though, that I think the mock's gotten a lot better. Um, I think this was probably the best year we've ever had in terms of valuations. Um, you know, the prospects go too early crowd was very, very, very small this year, uh, which was good. And I think our quality of drafter keeps going up. So I think it's a better benchmark than really it's ever been, which is pretty great. Can I ask a question of the group about that? Because I think this came up a little bit in some of the discussion that, um, and so I'll just say, like, I'll preface this, that like my personal opinion is generally to agree with what Nate said about the quality of the average participant in the mock draft has gone up. And I think the mock draft benefits from that. And so do all the people that um, are following it. But I think there was some concern that there's uh, maybe too much agreement or um, maybe there will be a point where there's too much agreement and that's uh, not necessarily constructive. Um, at least that's like the, the perspective that I heard. And I think if you wanted to carry that a little bit further, and I'm not sure that this is what the um, person was necessarily saying in starting the discussion, but if you want to carry that a little bit further you could run into some issues of groupthink or a situation where the mock draft is not nearly as 
generally relevant and applicable to folks uh, unless they're sort of of that same mindset as the people uh, who are doing the mock draft if you if you do get into that situation. Um, do you guys think that's a, a problem now, going to be a problem in the future, or is it is anything to be concerned about? Um, I, I'll, I'll take this one first. No. <laughs> um, I, I think part of it is, uh, you know, what the role of the mock draft is, and I feel like there is, like, it, it is not your draft. It is on some level to reflect groupthink. Um, you know, if it if it works well, the same way that the top hundred prospect lists have probably converged over time. Um, you know, I think there's probably an element of groupthink, but it's also consensus from which you can work in your own opinions. Um, I also think uh, probably whatever aspect of groupthink there is um, probably gets overwhelmed by having more correct picks. You know, I don't think unless you are in the draft. You know, um, it, I don't think it is as relevant, like, who is taking who when. I think just having them, uh, having the draft available as a resource later um, probably just benefits from having a more consistent point of view that you can then work off. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would say I'm, like, 95% uh, anti that position, maybe 5% worries about it a little bit. Um, but I mean, I think group thinks a good thing when it's because you have a bunch of super successful owners that are coming together and, you know, there's certain strategies that work better than others over time. So, um, I think that's what you get here. Now, if you have a scenario where there's a whole bunch of people that are doing really well in score sheet that aren't in the mock or people use types right. of valuations or strategies that they do and they're not there, then yeah, then you have a group think problem. But I don't think that's the case today. I think we have a super strong group that's very representative of the people doing well in score sheet. And I think the argument, that argument is a little bit, hey, man, all you people are going to operate as if the Earth is a sphere. And you don't ha you're not going to put anybody in here who's going to tell us the Earth is flat. Are we going to really deal with this? Are we going to deal with this kind of groupthink where everybody's going to think the same way? Everybody's forced into the same model? Um, and I think that's, uh, so I have uh, as much, I agree with everybody else. <laughs> Not a group think issue. Follow up right. question. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Um, so you, uh, someone mentioned um, the successful strategies that they're potentially leading to what some people call groups think. Um, what are some uh, strategies that you all saw emerge in this mock, and and um, you know that's that's been born out of previous mocks uh, as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll point out a few things. One is draft young players. Um, you know, there were not a lot of 30-plus players drafted in the first round. I'm not even sure if there was one this year. Um, don't draft pitchers in the first round. You know, there's the Clayton Kershaw exception, which you can use for a number of years. But other than that, you probably shouldn't be drafting a pitcher. No pitchers went in the first round this year. So uh, I think those are two uh, good ways to start your draft. If you can draft a 20- to 25-year-old a uh, really good hitter. Um, that's a that's a good place to be. So you're saying taking David Price third overall is a bad plan? <laughs> uh, in in this year, yes. A few years ago, also yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you guys think if Kershaw had been healthy, it would have been reasonable to see him middle of the first round? Like yeah, I mean, second like half maybe. Twenty six year yeah. old, super healthy, no worries about 
his arm or anything else, Kershaw, yeah, absolutely. He gets an exception. He's that much better than everyone else. But uh, that Kershaw doesn't exist anymore, right? He's older. He's had problems staying healthy. He's hurt right now. Um, so, yeah, no, not, not anymore. Yeah, and I don't even think there's necessarily a consensus on who the number one pitcher is. I don't like no one immediately springs to mind uh, for a continuing league. Um, I I would say, and this kind of dovetails into what our strategy was, because uh, there was a there was an aspect where we kind of saw the writing on the wall, and um, <laughs> a lot like we tended to draft uh, the last few years pretty heavily in the 22 to 26 year old range or 22 to 27. And um, I think we were probably a little more dogmatic about it than the two of you who I think uh, tend to jump around for value if that's, uh, and I'll let you guys respond to that. Um, And I, yeah. And I think uh, this year, like we just saw everybody filling that space. Um, And I don't know that we were like incredibly successful at it, but we ended up, going almost a little younger than usual which is um maybe not the right direction uh all told and we can talk about how successful that was later but um you know i think we tried to draft maybe even into the 19 to 22 range a little more than we usually do which is um you know we are not big prospect hounds in this league just because i think there are people who take that space better than us but um with this kind of, um, I want to say, like, strong drafting, it just became almost too hard to find a quality 25-year-old by mid-round. And, you know, for what we're trying to do, which is probably... Comp- generally, it's to compete in N plus one year. Um, we just found there was more value, like, outside of that uh, kind of tight window. Sorry. (laughs) Yep, everyone agrees. Um, Well, let's just move on more generically. Um, Were there any picks that stood out to you all that um, you liked or I guess that you didn't like? Feel free to tout your own picks as well um, if there's something you want to call out. Uh, I I think there ended up being value with the age with with some of the older guys. I I thought seeing Donaldson in the sixth round, Kane in the eighth round. I mean, Lorenzo Kane's really good. And with the format, if you get a guy who's really good for a couple of years, uh, you know, those are championships added. Um, on the younger side, I really liked uh, the pick of uh, Washington's Luis Garcia, uh, whose name is not memorable. And then uh, uh, Nate was on me. Uh, Nate wanted to draft Cabrian Hayes. And we didn't quite reach a consensus. Uh, and somebody drafted him then before we uh, – we would have, uh, but you know now Cabrian Hayes is just killing it in spring training, and I know there's mm-hmm. a lot of people saying spring training is meaningless. They are uh, wrong, um, and the even in this very 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 small sample size for Cabrian Hayes, it is some useful information. So uh, those are some of the picks I uh, I saw, and uh, and I think really provided uh, you know obvious good value. There, there were a lot of, of reasonable value picks to be had because of the focus on youth yeah i had i had some of the similar and i was hinting at that i have um i think your own 
did you take a were you the ones who took joey Votto in round six um sorry i should have have that up but i had joey Votto listed in round six i thought even carlos santana and jose abreu in round 11 i think those are closer to what you guys tend to call uh tedious value picks but you know i think there was just some value in older players um and it kind of um made us wish you know when once we had the once we kind of had made enough 19 to 21 year old picks it was too hard for us to pivot to like um you know going much older in the draft because i don't think we would have had the base with which to support that but you saw almost uh like halfway through the draft that the talent was really um dropping for teams that were trying to compete in year one so if I may, I think if I put myself in the shoes of, say, uh, somebody who is interested in the mock draft but maybe is, I don't know, somewhat ignorant, say, uh, how would you reconcile the difference between saying uh, prospects aren't going too early but also saying that uh, there was value in the veterans later on? There was value in some of the veterans later on. Some of the veterans, I think, were, were not great picks, but – you and. You know, I talked about some of the values that I thought were there for some of the prospects later and some of the values that were clearly there. I mean, Donaldson and Kane shouldn't have dropped that far. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Luis Garcia should have dropped that far either. And, Nate, you were right. Uh, Cabrian Hayes probably shouldn't have dropped that far. Yeah, it's funny, too, because most my list is mostly young players still, uh, <laughs> even with the enhanced focus on younger players. I think everyone on my list is under 30 um, in terms of pick that I like. You know, I like... Donaldson, too, I think that's a good pick. Is it one of the 10 or 20 best picks in the draft, in my opinion? No, it's not. Um, but it's a good one. Uh, I think in round six, there's a there's some value there. What were some of the best picks, the names on your list? Uh, so Danny Jansen went in the fourth round. Um, that's going to be surprising to a lot of people, but I think it's absolutely appropriate. Um, He's the catcher, too, on my board um, in all of baseball, which is kind of crazy. But um, there's a lot to like there. He's going to get on base. He's going to hit for some power. He's young. Catcher's terrible. Um, go get yourself some Danny Jansen if you can. Um, Ramon Laureano, round eight. Um, you know, he had pretty bad 17 and was maybe the Astros' only mistake of the last few years uh, when they let him go after that. Um, but he rebounded pretty big last year, had the good 40-some-odd game uh, debut. Um, you know, guy that can do it all. You know, strikeouts may limit him a little bit, but walks, power, speed, defense, um, you kind of get it all there. Uh, his arm is also kind of must-watch TV. Uh, doesn't really help you a ton in score sheet, but a super fun player to, to watch and root for. Um a couple others. I hate to say our own picks, but I can lump them together, so I'm going to do it. Um, Padres pitchers. Um, yeah. So uh, Chris Paddock went in round eight. Um, huge, huge, huge fan of him. He has yep. looked really good in spring training, uh, not necessarily in the results, just in his stuff and how he's approaching batters and some of the silly swings he's getting. Um, looks really good. Um, you know, an anecdote I offered uh, in a pretty competitive league, I offered – Kyle Schwarber for Chris Paddock, uh, straight up um, within the last week. Uh, Paddock went in round eight. Schwarber went in round four of the mock, uh, and I was easily rejected. So I think that's mostly about Chris Paddock. He's really good, and uh, I think in round eight that's pretty incredible. 
Um, that reminds me of uh, Who's the Boss, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, that might have been a trade that happened. Um, and then the other Padre pitcher is Matt Schramm. Uh, yeah. He's probably my favorite pitcher pick this year. Yep. Um, we took him around 12. Um, everything is pointing in the right direction. Uh, you know, he pitched last year coming off knee surgery. By his own admission, he wasn't healthy until August. He still had a really good year. Uh, he was kind of doing the opener thing late in the year and was still pitching really good. He had a 12K to 9 in the second half. Um, he has four pitches that graded above average last year. Uh, by results, yes, he did that as a reliever, but still, that's an incredible place to start and bodes well for going to the rotation. Um, he added a bunch of weight and muscle this winter to help him uh, get more durable for, for being a starting pitcher. So he's he's probably my favorite um, pitcher pick uh, this year. Yeah, I, I had both of them on uh, my sheet about your best players. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Matt Strom's looked just like outstanding this spring. Padres remain a fun watch. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's going to be a super fun team. Pitching, hitting, they have a lot of young, exciting guys. It'll be interesting to see how they how they come together. Uh, a few more. Um, Chad Pinder, round 15. Uh, doesn't have a starting gig. Uh, he's still going to get at least 400 plate appearances. He's going to play all over the place. I had a pretty good year last year. Batted ball data was really good. Um, I think, you know, the, the drafts I've looked at, He's getting out of the 15th, 16th round. I think that's an incredible pick there. Um, and someone I would recommend. Uh, Pete Alonzo, speaking of good spring training mm -hmm. uh, performances, particularly in BLs, NL first base is kind of loaded right now, uh, particularly for leagues that have been going for a while. So um, it's a little harder to get excited there. Um, but certainly in BLs, um, you know, this is the classic, you know, non-sexy righty-righty first baseman that just keeps hitting and all of a sudden he's in the big leagues and he's you know one of the 20 or 30 best hitters in baseball and you're like oh how'd that happen you know he never uh, he never got a lot of hype so he could be the new Goldschmidt or Hoskins or um, you know a whole bunch of guys that have done that so uh, there's still some risk you know he's not the most athletic guy uh, to put it kindly but um, that bat looks really good and in round nine that was um, that was pretty good and then uh, one more, I second the Hayes, um, you know, the Hayes recommendation. And lastly, round 13, uh, Vidal Brujan. Um, at some point, we're going to stop uh, underrating the little guys. Um, he is not big. He could hit the gym. That would help. Uh, just add some physicality. But uh, he's also not very tall. But um, everything else, if you like, didn't know his height and weight and you looked at him as a prospect, you would think he's a top 10 prospect in baseball. Um, you know, has the hit tool, plate approach, uh, discipline, defense, speed, uh, his makeup's off the charts, according to everyone that talks to him. Um, you know, the power's not quite there, but he's young and still growing and all that. Uh, he did have a kind of a mini late season breakout in high A, small sample, so maybe nothing, but uh, he started to add more power there, so... Uh, another hitter that uh, I think could be very good, and in round 13, I think the, the tables are in your favor. Cool. Um, <clears throat> Nate, you uh, had talked, just mentioned the, about the glut of first baseman. Did the mock draft reveal anything to you all about positional scarcity? I know, at least in my head, there was a running thread about uh, how deep third base was this year. 
Yeah, I mean, the one that stuck out to me was just catcher's awful. I mean, if you're not going to get one of the first two or maybe a couple of the mid-tier guys like Contreras or Grandal or someone like that, um, after that, I mean, I might as, I'd rather just wait till like round 20 and draft a couple guys and uh, have a Frankenstein uh, catcher uh, platoon. Um, you're not going to be missing out on any productivity uh, by doing that. Uh, you know, there's not, a, there's not even a lot of guys with like upside where you'd be like, hey, maybe this guy's going to be something. It's just a lot of people that you know are not going to be very good or just kind of be mediocre. So um, your catcher looks uh, worse than I can remember it. Yeah. And one of the things we see on the the prospect list, Danny Jansen still qualifies as a prospect, and he's like in so, uh, not even in some top 100s or he's 87th someplace. And you look at that, I mean, the guy right now, as Nate said, he's he's one of the top catchers in the league. I mean, right now. So when I see that on the on the prospect list, I have some concerns because, as Nate said, Danny Jansen is uh, actually good and catching, not just for score sheet, but in the major leagues is 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 weak. Obviously, in the major leagues, I think part of that is that there's more of a more of a focus on some of the defensive uh, things that are out there, and so we end up seeing Jeff Mathis still having a job. Yeah, I will just echo that. I, I think I saw Danny Jansen in the 100 to 110 league range in what I would call a prominent minor league uh, evaluators rankings. Um, <laughs> and I thought that was crazy. Um, and, you know, we saw only, uh, I was just counting, I think only 20 uh, catchers went in this draft. It's a 2014 draft. About half of them are uh, rookies or people without position or, you know, or playing time. One of them is Williams Estadio. So, you know, so can, can uh, I can I can I add an asterisk to the statement I made? There yeah. is the Astudillo gambit, uh, which is an exception I'm willing to allow. Um, he does not go very high, but is actually interesting. Um, I don't know how long that's going to last or if he's going to ever get playing time, but uh, he's good. And uh, I think the, the thing I said in the mock was if you never strike out and batting average on balls and play is a thing, that means you hit 300, right? Mm. Um and, and he does that. I mean, it was a trick. It was like 2% last year, 3%. So yeah. um, it doesn't take much if you do that and you have even a little bit of power uh, to become a pretty valuable catcher uh, in this day and age. So uh, I don't know. He might make the team as like a utility guy slash third catcher. Uh, he might come up later in the year. It's kind of still to be determined as far as I know. But um, he's interesting. And I think he's someone you'd like to have and just kind of treat him as a prospect and, and see when he comes up. Yeah, um, you know, and it's interesting because one of the actual few veteran catchers who went was uh, Mitch Garver um, ahead of him. So there, and neither of them are actually the starting catcher who did not go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it's just really fascinating. That's why we ended up taking uh, in the ninth round. We took Adley Rutschman. Uh, one of the things you should know about this league is that uh, you can take anyone, uh, including you or me. But please don't. I'm not, <laughs> not, I do not return 16th round value, but, um, I do think Adley Rushman, uh, who is by and large the consensus number one. And I think has just, uh, again, not that like playing like Fordham or whatever matters, but he, he has been looking dynamite in the early college season. Uh, yeah, I mean, know, fan, I, fan yeah, graphs, just, just to jump in, fan graphs just upgraded him to, uh, 60 uh, future value prospects, which puts you solidly in the top 20 prospects of, of the game. So, um, 
yeah, it's not too early to jump on that bandwagon. He's he's not a you know Bryce Harper level one dot one when yeah. it comes to the draft, but he is a solid. Yes, this is the best player in the draft coming. Uh, he's a lot different than everyone else in the draft. Yeah, and I think there was some back talk at the time. I think he was severely underdrafted because I think a lot of people are working for limited information in the college sphere. Um, but there are also because there are no good catchers. <laughs> yep. Um, so, John, I wanted to go back. You had brought up Malcolm Nunez um, before. I know you had a point there, but first, uh, Ben, who is Malcolm Nunez? Um, is he that author that wrote that really popular book? Yes, uh, exactly. John, why should Ben know who Malcolm Nunez is? Uh, so Malcolm Nunez it was our 16th round pick. It, he was a, a slight statement pick. I thought he was uh, 15th round, whatever the last round is, 16th round. The uh, I I I thought he's value there, um, but obviously in a real league somebody might let him slip. Um, but basically, what he did in rookie league uh, at the age of 17 was to crush the ball entirely. He's sort of a third baseman, um, and here's the thing, like nobody had heard of him. He'd, he'd had uh, he signed for I think 400 grand, which is not nothing, um, and, but. Uh, when you have this kind of performance, this kind of massive, epic performance, it matters. Um, it, it's it's an overwhelming performance, uh, even in rookie ball. It's just you just don't see people do this. Um, uh, he had an OPS of something like 1100, something ridiculous. And yeah, it's a it's the uh, Dominican Summer League, which they keep adding teams. And they have a thousand players in. Uh, might not be a thousand, but it's a lot of players. Um, and so the quality is low, but you, you also have a 17 year old who is just who, with real power and you shouldn't ignore that. Uh, and I think uh, one of the things that we see with some frequency is performance gets kind of ignored sometimes in on some of these lists. Even now, it used to be much worse. I think you want Malcolm Nunez. I think if you're in a league, especially with unlimited rookies, uh, nobody else is going to draft him. You, you can probably draft him in the middle 20s. You're the only one listening to this podcast, uh, whoever you are, who does listen to this. Ouch. And Ouch, John. That's a fair assessment. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, and you should go ahead and get, get him. Um, it, it, the performance is too much of an outlier to ignore. And when you have things like that, uh, both Nate and I, in season, look at, uh, for supplemental picks, look at outlier performances by minor league players. And you, you end up picking up some good players by doing that yeah some of them are flukes but there are some things you can do like you know home runs if you hit a bunch of home runs yeah maybe a little fluky but it's hard to hit a bunch of home runs if you don't have the ability to hit home runs so you really want to look at these kinds of super outlier performances even when they're in crappy leagues um even when they're even if it's the dominican summer league and the guy is very young and you're going to have a holding cost so I, I think uh, the lesson isn't just Malcolm Nunez, but any of these things where you have some kind of you can't ignore uh, outlier performances. Yeah, and just just a correction there. Uh, his OPS was actually 1270. Uh, there we even, go. It was even better than 1100. <laughs> so, uh, you know, silly video game numbers. Right. Um, but I agree with John. You know, he wasn't uh, on my radar for round 16. He was a guy I had heard of and who put up good numbers, but you know wasn't wasn't anywhere near my list at that point. But John made the case, and 
um, ultimately is, yeah, this, this makes sense. Um, it's an outlier performance and we should see how that goes. Yeah. I feel actually pretty similarly. I, I think it less, more scouting, less performance, but about your 15th round pick, Nolan Jones, um, like getting the players who just dominate league, like on some level, you know, it's right. It's something to work from like, it, right. You're, you know, I, I think there's this, like the don't scout the stat line line that just infuriates me. Cause it's used wrong all the time by everyone. Um, but you know, if you know how to, if you know how to adjust outlines and what matters, you know, it's information and to throw out information just to feel superior is seems silly to me. I think that's an excellent point. I, I think that goes for, uh, uh, that goes for spring training stats, uh, which have demonstrable use. If we throw that out and say, oh, they don't matter, it does matter. All these things matter. The question is how much do they matter, quantifying how much they matter, and then using that to make good decisions. Yeah, or drafting Lewis Brinson in the first round because he hit five home runs. <laughs> I <laughs> advise that. against that. <laughs> Can we, can we talk about Nolan Jones for a second? Because he's super interesting. He's sure. a weird prospect. Sure. Um, if you haven't looked at him, you know, he's made a few top 100s towards the back. Um, but, you know, you don't find many prospects that, you know, at an age-appropriate level in, you know, single A or high A, you know, walk 16% of the time, strike out 25% of the time, and have a whole bunch of power. That rarely happens, uh, particularly the walks. Um, so, you know, there's, I think some concerns that, you know, maybe the bat speed isn't there and, uh, you know, he's going to strike out a whole bunch and he's being too passive and, uh, he's got Jeremy Hermita disease, uh, from back in the day, uh, where it's like, you need to swing the bat sometimes. Uh, so he may be that a little bit. Um, but you know, the, the raw indicators there are super good and, uh, you know, at someone that's not going to cost you very much is, uh, is pretty interesting. Also, um, because it's not going to come up again in the world. Uh, I'm a Jeremy Hermita truther, uh, and everyone needs to know this. He he had a 900 OPS one year <laughs> he where he just, like, yeah. dominated in the major leagues, and everyone forgets this, and he's, like, just a massive bust. No, he was, like, legitimately, like, paid off for a year, and just, um, uh, Jared, I think you can agree with me on this, because I think you were at this game. Uh, we saw him once in spring training. Like, the single, like, I don't mean to turn this into a Bill Simmons spot, but, like, the single lowest motor I have ever seen on a baseball diamond. I, maybe he was sick that day. I don't know. That was, like, uh, in retrospect, I was like, oh, that's a warning sign. Now I understand. <laughs> but he he's not a prospect bust. He's a major league bust. They're right. different. How long has that been eating away at you, Ian? Oh, all the time. Just, a, you know. A decade, it, at least. <laughs> it doesn't come up in regular conversations often, you would think. <laughs> um well i, I want to be respectful of everyone's time us of us on the east coast do have to go to sleep because we're on the east coast um do you have any final thoughts about the mock that um you wanted to make sure to get out there uh john we'll start with you i, I think the thing that uh, we haven't talked about a lot is it's really fun uh, i have a great time uh, doing it, uh, I had a great time doing it alone, but I also had a really great time doing it with Nate. You know, we had the back and forth. It's something in the off season. Uh, you get to, uh, you also have really high quality commentary from uh, a variety of people. I do think we're at a, a just a, a incredible.
incredible group of drafters at this point. I mean, really good drafters, uh, really sharp people, people with takes. Um, and we've really it, I just had a, a, a terrific time. It's a fun thing to do. If you're if you're interested in doing it next year, you should. And if you're if you like score sheet enough uh, to be here listening to a podcast on it, then heck, uh, this is a really fun thing to do. I recommend everyone do it. Yeah, and I think the other benefit is that you know though it's a mock draft and we don't play it out, the truth eventually emerges, right? So. Uh, you know, there's some good natured ribbing that happens, you know, if uh, someone doesn't like a pick or something like that, that, that will get said, we're not all just polite and everything's roses and sunshine. Um, and, you know, we've had people come back and, you know, a couple years later, oh, you know, Hey, this pick got panned and it worked out and, and that's the fun part. Right. So, you know, Hey, if you go against the grain and something works out, then uh, you should come back and crow about it a little bit. So uh, I find it super fun uh, as someone that's, obnoxiously competitive uh, i'd probably get a little bit too into it but um i really enjoy it and i think we got a great group of owners yeah um i i will echo what they say um and you know again i actually think that is a really good point like um you know this year i think um i was noticing a lot of um uh beloved uh beloved former baseball prospectus writer uh, joe sheehan and uh, jay young have a team together I was noticing a lot of their picks uh, kind of got ganged up on a little bit. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I do think there is an aspect where they ended up taking a lot of Brewers and Padres, and uh, the Brewers and Padres looked pretty terrific in the early going. Um, you know, I think there's a place where they could come back in three years and say, well, we were actually just right about everybody. So uh, take that. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think um, you also... I would say it's extremely fun to draft, but if you, you know, not everyone can do that. If you just want to be in on the conversation, just uh, join the Yahoo group. Again, groups.yahoo.com uh, and Google, uh, you know, Google. Yeah, that's exactly what you should do with it. Um, <laughs> look for a mock draft in the search bar. Um, and you can just sign up for the league and then just start receiving the emails. And, you know, even if you can't participate, uh, we get comments from people who aren't participating that are uh you know rigorous and well thought out and probably uh probably a sign that they should have our position <laughs> but um you know i think the participant uh the people who participate without drafting are just as valuable as those who are uh, in the league itself yeah i was going to mention that too ian so i'm glad you said something i think uh participating comes in many forms and certainly the folks that are watching and thinking critically or even just uh, shouting random insults at uh, terrible picks definitely add to the entertainment value. I have to tell myself that because otherwise there's no point for me. <laughs> nice. Thanks, um, Sure. Um, with that, if no one has any further thoughts on the mock, on the mock uh, John, what was the best thing you saw this week? Oh man, I didn't on the spot. I know, man. I am. Uh, this is how I feel every week, John. I don't ever do anything. So, oh my god, I didn't Uh, think this was coming up. Let's see. I want to go with. uh, I think. Oh, the best thing I saw this week was the Jeopardy Tournament of Champions, the the big team tournament. It was great. Uh, I, I was rooting for Ken Jennings over Brad Rutter. And I've got another half hour on this whole Jeopardy tournament, but it was great. Uh, of course, the saddest thing this week is uh, Alex Trebek's uh, pancreatic cancer. 
but the uh, but it was great uh, to watch the the Jeopardy at its finest. It, they did a brilliantly run tournament, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, a real a real valedictory for Alex Trebek too. You know, if this is if he's facing a battle, like just a testament to thirty years of a great show. Yes. Yeah. What was so good about it, John? Not that I'm uh, doubting it. I'm just no, need no, to elaborate no. a little bit more. So they, what they did is they got all a uh, bunch of former contestants. They did, had it in a, a tournament format. They had six teams of three each, and they had a little bit of a complicated play into the finals. Uh, and they got very entertaining people. Uh, you know, and and these uh, these people who are really good at the game uh, playing, and then they switched off like from single jeopardy to double jeopardy to final jeopardy. And they showed you some of the thoughts and what their betting strategies were, uh, going into it. And so, uh, and also, you know, a lot of these people are just, you know, genuinely charming. Uh, and so watching all this, uh, was a good time. I think, uh, Buzzy Cohen who got knocked out, uh, er, he, before the finals, uh, he started off saying, well, you know, we're going to win in a kind of cocky way. And then one of the other guys said, well, you know, I, I'm just hoping to do well. I'm the, uh, I'm probably the worst player here except for Buzzy. And, you know, just the back and forth, the little uh, throwdowns were a lot of fun. Uh, and, you know, you could see everybody was uh, you know, respectful of the game, respectful of each other, uh, willing to throw lines out there. But, uh, you know, it's like the best of fantasy baseball. Um, you know, I, I insult Nate just because he's a bad person, but, uh <laughs> You know, for the rest of you, obviously, uh, I, I insult you probably for some other reasons that I'll be able to justify later. So <laughs> it, was a, it was a good thing to watch. It was a lot of fun. Cool. Um, well, Nate, we've for a while now. Hopefully you've been able to come up with something. What was the yeah. best thing you saw this week? I don't know if I can beat the Trebek nod, but um, and I don't know if this is best, but certainly the most memorable. Uh, I was out in Bozeman, Montana last week and uh they got three feet of snow in like three days it just like snowed it never stopped for three whole days and uh if you've never been to bozeman in the winter um plows you would think would be a thing that exists in mass <laughs> quantities uh but they're not and um they also don't like put sand or salt down on the roads or anything occasionally they'll do some gravel but that's pretty rare apparently from what i saw uh and even when they do plow the roads they don't do a very good job uh, and don't do it very often. Uh, coming from the Northeast, uh, it was kind of startling. So uh, we had this drive to the airport at like four in the morning uh, on our way back after you know, the three plus days of snowing and there's snow everywhere. And it looked like the day after tomorrow. I mean, it really did. There were cars abandoned all over the place on the side of the road in the middle of the highway. Uh, there was a couple cars on the road that were like sliding through stoplights in front of us and uh, it really felt odd. Um, I've never seen anything quite like that. And also terrifying to even drive 15 minutes uh, on back roads uh, was, was kind of crazy. Um, so, yeah, uh, Bozeman as the day after tomorrow uh, would be the, the thing I saw. <laughs> I love the day after tomorrow. If it's on TV, I have to watch it to its conclusion. It's, a, it, kind it's, of a, it's a worthy that. watch, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um I think we can just reserve that uh, best thing for our guests, unless Benry and there's anything you wanted to get off your chest. Oh, um, I, well, I'll, I'll 
just go with one quick anecdote because I, I think it'll wrap it up. And it's actually about baseball because I've been watching a lot of baseball this week. Um, so as, as I mentioned, I've been watching the Padres a ton uh, in the last couple of days. Uh, Manny Machado looks good. Hey, did you know Manny Machado was a good player, Jared? What? You should have you sh- you uh, watched him for a few years. <laughs> Maybe if you watched him more regularly, you would have been able to know that. Um, he, he, he was fine. Uh, but my favorite thing was um, – there was a, a game where Eric Hosmer uh, came up to bat, and um, uh, you know, just for a moment, um, the sound dropped out. They were talking, and um, you know, you can hear sounds from the stands pretty well in uh, when watching spring training broadcast. And in the distance, you hear uh, a fan go, "Let's see that launch angle." <laughs> and it just reminded me that hecklers are now smarter than like I've ever been. And like I have to study now to be able to heckle these players. So it's just a real hum- humbling experience. And that, that's why that's the best thing I saw this week. <clears throat> that's awesome. That's pretty good. I don't know how it took us this long to get through a mock draft podcast before making fun of the Orioles. I'm stunned that we lasted this long. Oh, I forgot to say, the best thing I saw during the mock draft is <laughs> that none of you knew this, but we had a side bet going about <laughs> whether an Oriole would be drafted in like a baby pool about when the first Oriole would be taken. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we, we posted about it after it happened. Oh, that's true. That's true. We Because, we, uh, you know, we couldn't uh, get everybody in. But I did want everybody in on the pool. Um, and the uh, I think what the first Oriole was taken with pick number, was it 252? All I remember is that I won. Uh, that's all I needed to know. 252. Yeah. How did you remember that? Yes, it was Ryan Mountcastle with pick 252. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, by the way, Ryan Mountcastle, severe overdraft. <laughs> <laughs> Should not have been taken. Um, but, um, yeah, he, uh, yes. Uh, I think we also drafted how many Orioles would be taken, and I think uh, Ben won that as well by taking the under. Um, and what I love most about that and why it was the best thing I saw is that uh, Jared, who is an Oriole fan, for your entire life yep. uh, went like here's the most pessimistic thing I can come up with and then Ben just took the under twice and won <laughs> <laughs> so let that be a lesson to y'all okay okay <laughs> alright nice I'll be honest I don't know how to wrap this up Ian you always do it um, <laughs> Nate John thanks for coming on we really appreciate it we hope you'll be back at some point if you're willing to because uh, sometimes our listeners want actual content and smart people actual smart people helps too <laughs> yeah. no thanks for having us it's always fun and happy to do it again sometime we had a great time cool thanks so on behalf of everyone else uh, thanks for listening and I don't know what the next line is have a great day have a there great day <laughs> Jared you listen to that every time how do you not know uh, alright